Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at 2 Peter 1, 16-21. Father, may you teach us this morning through your word. We thank you so much for your commandments, your revelation, through words that were penned by fallible men. Teach us this morning, God, to treasure your word, but to worship Jesus. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let us read Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The first thing, the first word, Peter says, is for. He's connecting two thoughts. What we, what we talked about last week, what we looked last week and the weeks prior to what Peter says at the beginning of chapter 1. He's connecting this thought with what we just read now. If the, For those of you that, that uh, weren't in our study and, and want to do further study uh, from what we're reading this morning, I encourage you to look at further at the, the context of Second of Peter to, to maybe in your devotional time this week to look at uh, verses 3 through 15 of Second Peter. I'll summarize it briefly. Peter is telling Christians, reminding Christians that they have been given everything they need for life and godliness. They've been given power by the Holy Spirit. They've been given this, this victory. But he tells them to add to their faith good works. He tells them to add to their faith a list of good qualities that can be found uh, in verse 5 and following. Uh, of, of qualities to their faith. He says, make every effort to do so. We, we learned about this a few weeks ago. Um, he, he also goes on to say... Uh, and be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. These are active words. These, this is a huge exhortation from, from Peter. Don't be lazy in your faith, he's saying, right? And he's saying to, to add to your faith these qualities. Otherwise, you're going to become unfruitful. You're going to be ineffective in your faith. You're going to forget that you've been saved 
by grace, by Jesus. You've been saved from your sins. You're going to forget maybe even your salvation. He says, this is my dying wish. This is my dying exhortation to you guys. I am about to die as Jesus has kind of made known to me. I'm about to move on. He says, to put off this old body as, his, as if he's changing clothes. What a perspective of, on death, right? He says, I choose to exhort you in this way. To, to tell you to make every effort. To be all the more diligent. To do these things. Because I find it right to do so. I, I, I know that you know these things. He says, I know you know these qualities. I know you know you're supposed to do these qualities, but I'm going to keep telling you. I'm going to be a broken record to you, and I'm just going to keep on telling you about these things because maybe you'll remember them once I'm gone. Maybe you'll remember that crazy Peter guy who just kept telling us, it kept encouraging us to make every effort to add to our faith good works. And so now he's connecting this thought with the, the passage we just read, and he's saying, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths. We're not making this up. So, so he, it's almost like Peter is pleading with his listeners, ple- pleading with the, the people that are reading his letter, please listen to my exhortations. Yes, I'm repeating myself. Yes, I'm already telling you something you know, but listen, please, to my exhortations to you, because we as apostles are not making this Christianity thing up. We're not making up what happened to Jesus. We were there. This is later on in Peter's life. And, and, and Peter is saying, I was there with Jesus. I've seen his majesty. That's powerful. Peter has seen his majesty. Uh, he says, we have seen his majesty. The, the apostles specifically, Peter, James, and John were with him, Peter says, on the holy mountain when they saw Jesus' majesty. When, when Jesus' face shone like the sun, Matthew's gospel tells us, his clothes were whiter than any bleach could make clothing, whiter than anything you can imagine, Mark's Gospel tells us, he's, we saw him as he truly is. And, and more than that, or, or along with that, we, we heard an audible voice from God the Father, the majestic glory. Peter describes God as the majestic glory. We heard God speak and identify Jesus as his son as the favored one, as God himself. We were there. We were eyewitnesses. There's going to be people. Peter talks later in his letter. There's going to be people that will make up myths, that will make up fairy tales, and they, they will try to distort the gospel of Christ. They will try to tell you what to do, and it will be false. They'll try to, to, to tell you who Jesus is, and, it, and it, will be, it will be false. So don't listen to them. Listen to the eyewitnesses that were there. Those people weren't there. They didn't see Jesus being transfigured before them. They didn't hear the voice from God. They don't know. And, and he actually uh, says why they're, they're doing these things. In, in uh, 2 Peter 3, go ahead and turn there with me. 
These, these false teachers, and, and Peter calls them scoffers in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That's what scoffers do, I guess. They scoff. Following their own sinful desires. That's what scoffers are doing. They're, they're not trying to, to, win, to win you over to Christianity. They're trying to distort Christianity. They're trying to distort who Jesus is, what Jesus commanded, because they want to do what they want to do. They want to appease their darkened, sinful hearts, their rebellious hearts against God. This is their motive. So Peter is saying, listen to us. Who else are you going to listen to? Um, more than that, he, he actually, Peter actually says, We've been given authority by God. What, what we say is the very commandment of Christ. Stay in, in chapter 3 real quick. Just look. Um, we're going to start in, in verse 1 there of chapter 3 in Second Peter. This now, the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. <clears throat> That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. And listen to this. The commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What, What Peter is saying is, listen to our exhortations as apostles, as eyewitnesses of Jesus himself. Listen to us and obey our word as if you were listening to the very commandment of Christ himself. We have authority that's been given to us through Christ because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have been given authority by Christ to exhort you, so listen to us. Our words are authoritative. Our words are true. Our words are from God. If you're not going to listen to eyewitness testimony, it would be foolish to listen to anything else. But Peter goes on. Flip, flip back over your page to our text. Verse 19, Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Prophetic word. What is the prophetic word? The prophetic word is what we would know as the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, not just the prophets, okay, the literary genre of uh, prophets, but we know that even in Genesis, the, the Messiah was prophesied in Genesis by God himself speaking to Eve. Your offspring will bruise the head of the serpent. Jesus, the Messiah, the Israel's Messiah, your offspring will have victory over Satan. Abraham, when God promised Abraham that through his descendants will the world be blessed. He's talking about the Messiah. When God promised David that through his kingdom he will make an everlasting kingdom, he was talking about David's legal bloodline the Messiah, making an everlasting kingdom. He's talking about Jesus. Do you see that? uh, Peter is saying the prophetic word is more fully confirmed in Jesus. We're talking about Jesus because we're eyewitnesses of him. We heard uh, the the voice from God 
claiming who he is, declaring who he is. And, and we, we saw him transfigured before us as he would come again. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It's all confirmed in Jesus. Evangelical Convictions, a book that exposits our Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith, the EFCA Statement of Faith. I want to read a quote from it. Jesus' life and ministry cannot be understood rightly apart from the Old Testament story. The first followers of Jesus understood him in light of the Old Testament story. But it is equally true that they could not understand that that Old Testament story apart from him. Did you get that? Peter is saying the Old Testament is confirmed in Jesus. Jesus is the resolution to the Old Testament. He's what all those passages I was talking about are are fulfilled in. Jesus fulfills those scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment. The, uh, the sacrificial system, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world once and for all. Do you guys, do you guys see this? It, it, the, the, the book continues, um, the quote. It says, first, uh, the first Christians understood the life and ministry of Jesus Christ to be the hermeneutical key, the lens of understanding through which we view the whole Bible. Jesus is that lens. We, we can understand Old, Old Testament, New Testament, through the lens of who Jesus is. He is Israel's promised Messiah. That's what the Old Testament is all about. That's what the New Testament is all about. It's about Jesus. He's the hermeneutical key. We, we, we can't understand the Old Testament rightly apart from him. There's going to be something missing. There's going to be a, a resolution I think of musically how if, if there's some dissonant chords being played in, at, towards the end of a song, I'm waiting for that, that one chord to, to resolve that song, right? And, and, when, and when Jesus comes, he's the one chord. He is the resolution of all that the Old Testament is, is like straining towards and, 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 and hoping for. Jesus is that, and we can't understand the Old Testament apart from Jesus. Equally, the, the, the book says, we can't understand Jesus apart from the Old Testament. Peter says this, actually, right here. He, uh, Peter says, uh, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. I think sometimes if we, we heard that the, the Old Testament is confirmed in Jesus. Jesus confirms the Old Testament. Well, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Well, why do we need the Old Testament if Jesus is the answer to the Old Testament, right? Peter says, no, you can't just throw out the Old Testament. We need to pay attention as Christ followers, as Christians living in the New Testament, if you will. We, uh, we need to pay attention to the Old Testament because we can't understand Jesus apart from it. We can't understand the fullness of who Jesus is as, Je- as Israel's promised Messiah 
as our only hope of salvation without the Old Testament. Jesus is the key. I hope you're understanding uh, at this point uh, Peter's theme here, Peter's point here. Um, Pay attention to the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. Pay attention to Old Testament scripture. It is reliable. It is true. Pay attention. Um, As you guys go your separate ways after you graduate. Some of you have already graduated. Some of you have yet to graduate um, today or, or otherwise. And so as you go off, maybe as you're a student again at a college or a university or as you are going off to the military, um, going off into the workforce, um, undecided, you don't know what the next step is. No matter what you're doing, Be a student, first and foremost, of the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. Be a student, first and foremost, of the Scriptures. I remember um, when going off to college, when uh, my my parents would challenge me and talk to me, and, and, you know, they really wanted me to be diligent in my studies, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if your parents do that. But they're at least thinking it, okay? They want you to be diligent in your studies. They want you to um, put your studies first, right? That when they say diligent in your studies, they want you to be a good student. They, they want you to, to make them a priority, right? Before you, you know, hanging out all night with your friends or whatever. I don't want to scare any parents in here. But anyway, but, uh, they've all been to college too. Uh, but anyway, uh, they... They want you to make your studies a priority. They want you to uh, write your papers on time. They want you to, to um, make sure you're studying for your tests, make sure uh, you're doing your reading assignments, all that fun college stuff, you know. Uh, th- they want you to make those things a priority, like at the top of your list, before you do anything else. I'm, I'm saying to you right now that be a student of the scriptures first and foremost. Make them a priority first and foremost before you make time with your friends, even before you make time for your studies, before you make time to eat, to sleep. You know, I think the, the, the most common excuse of us not being in the word as Christians, of, of us not reading God's word and meditating on it, memorizing it, is we just don't have time. Right? I, I, I use that excuse, too. You know, I just don't have time. I, I wake up with the kids, and uh, I, I eat breakfast and get them breakfast and go off to work and come home and, 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 and play with them until they go to bed. And then, you know, i got to watch my sh- TV show or, or something, and then i got to go to bed. i got no time to read the Bible. And I think that can be our, our, our most common excuse is time. And we need to make time. We need to make time for scriptures. We need to be a student of scriptures. First and foremost, maybe you say, okay, I'm not going to eat breakfast, if breakfast is your thing, before I am in the scriptures. Before I even eat breakfast, I'm going to 
open God's word, maybe for 10, 15 minutes. Start out small, but commit. Commit yourself to something. Make it a priority. Make it a priority. Peter tells us it's a light. It's a, excuse me, it's a lamp shining in a dark place. Pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. You know, this world is a dark place. But Peter continues this thought of light and dark, and he, t- and he starts talking about until the day dawns. Okay, he starts talking about a lamp shining in a dark place, and then he talks about day dawning. And when day dawns, it, 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 the darkness flees. And what he's talking about here is the second coming of Christ. When the day dawns and, and the morning star rises in your hearts, our hearts are dark. Our hearts are a dark place. The world is a dark place full of sinful desire, Peter says in, in verse 4 of chapter 1. But our hearts are a dark place. Peter or Paul says in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? I keep doing what I don't want to do. Our hearts are dark, full of sinful desire. Even as regenerate Christians, even as regenerate Christ followers, we need to be fighting our sinful desires all the time, Peter says, until the, um, until the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star hasn't risen in our hearts yet. Uh, in other words, Jesus hasn't come back yet. He hasn't glorified us, made us uh, new bodies yet. We are still in these bodies, these, these bodies of flesh that have sinful desire that we're waging war, hopefully, against. If we're not waging war against our sinful desire, then we'll, we will be following our sinful desire. We cannot be... Lazy in our faith, as Peter exhorts us earlier in this chapter. We must turn on the light of Scripture in our dark hearts. Psalm 119, verse 105, another passage of Scripture that says that God's word is a lamp. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Put this, print this out, put this on your mirror at college or wherever you're going to next. Print that verse out. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Two verses later, it says, I have stored up in your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's, it's more than just reading the Bible to check a box. This is meditation. This is a memorization of God's holy scripture. It's amazing. He says, that I might not sin against you. Memorization of God's word, storing it up in our heart, will keep us from sinning, the psalmist says. You find yourself in a ha- habit of sin or nearing a habit of sin, uh, in danger of a habit of sin, memorize God's word. Have God's word on your mind and on your heart. When, when, you're, when you're in Scripture, you're, you're understanding the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And you're not going to, and the Holy Spirit is going to equip you and, and bring those things to, to your mind that, that you're memorizing, that you're studying, so that you won't sin, that you will have victory over sin in this life. Before the, the, the morning star dawns on your heart, you can have victory over sin when you store up the word in your heart, when you turn on the light of Scripture in your dark hearts, yes, even us as Christians, especially us as Christians. He continues. And said, well, he, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Like I said, it's about the second coming. Christ will come back. Peter loves talking about this. He, he loves talking about the second coming of Christ, and, and he, he's encouraging um, and exhorting at the same time the Christians here. He's saying, do this, pay attention to, to scriptures until the day dawns, until Jesus comes back and the morning star rises in your hearts, until, you're, until you're, uh, Jesus does away completely with sinful desire and temptation. He will do, com- do away with it completely. You will no longer have to fight temptation and and sinful desire and sin nature. One day, he will restore us and and make us like him in glorified bodies. And and we will be free from sin and and free to love and worship God in a pure way. Going on in verse 20 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, <clears throat> that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Um, that no prophecy of Scripture was, uh, comes from someone's own interpretation. These, these writers of the Old Testament did not just write an interpretation that they thought uh, would be uh, God's will, right? Well, I think God, God is meaning this when he is speaking to me. No, when, when the Old Testament writers are writing, they are writing directly from God. God is carrying them, even their personalities, along by the Holy Spirit. God can use personalities of fallible men, sinful men, to accomplish his will. And in this case, revealing his will. <clears throat> and another thing to, to pull uh, and to apply to our lives from, from verse 20 is no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not just some fl- interpretation of Scripture and of God's Word. It's not just some fluid thing. Whatever you feel like God is saying here in this text is what God's saying to you. No. It's not whatever you want God to be saying from this text. It's the author's original intent because he's speaking from God. He's being carried along by God. He is speaking directly from God in some supernatural way. So we must understand, what what is the author saying? What, What is the author's original original intent. What, what is the context of, of, this, of these verses here? You know, the, 
sometimes we can get, we get tripped up in that way, and, and there's extremes. I guess there's the further extreme where you're turning to a passage and, and pointing to a scripture and, and finding out God's specific will for your life, which is a really bad idea and just not way, the way scripture is meant to be handled. But, but, there's, but interpreting scripture is important. And, you know, the, the Bible says, you know, don't cease to preach God's word. So I, I exhort you to, to not cease to be under the authority of God's word. Don't, don't cease to, to um, go to church. Join a local body that, that teaches God's word and exhorts you in God's word. Join a Bible study as well and, and, and talk about God's word and, and what it means. Not what you think it means, but what it means and how to apply it to our life. I encourage you in that way. So, these authors of the, of, of the Bible are, are being carried along, of these different books, are being carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is not an agenda of man. This is God's will. You know, it's, it's amazing that God would, t- would, would, would do this, that he would take... F- that he would decide this is a good idea. That he would take, inf- uh, excuse me, fallible man and, and sinful man to write down his infallible will, his infallible revelation of who he is, uh, of uh, of uh, of who we are as as create uh, as creation made in his image and how we've fallen from glory and and then revealing through his word salvation through Christ. It's amazing. You know, um, I, in first service, I, I had the privilege of listening to the, the King's Delegates to Quartet. And, man, uh, I love quartets. And I might not, like, sit there and listen to it on my iPhone or anything. But that was a real pleasure, getting to hear them and their harmonies and their unities and their unison when they sang in unison. It was amazing. Four guys sounded like one voice. Even in their harmonies, and especially in, when they sang unison, it was incredible. And, and I, th- I think about the, the Word of God in that way, and, and how the Word of God is, is a, a, a compilation of all these authors, not four, but 40. 40 authors make up the Bible, what we have as God's Word, what we, have, what we call Scripture. 40 authors. Can you imagine getting 40 guys in a... And, you know, I guess a choir would be something like 40. But, uh, but to all sound as one voice, and, and more than that, just, not just 40 dudes, but, but 40 dudes from, from uh, a 1,500-year span of time. These guys didn't know each other. These guys weren't, uh, these 40 guys weren't sitting around a table and saying, hey, what should we write in the Bible? They didn't even know each other. It was from a 1,500, a lot of them didn't know each other, a 1,500-year span time. Three different languages. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. It was on, written on three different continents, uh, Europe, Africa, and, and Asia. This is amazing. It, it was written in so many different uh, literary genres, literary styles. How can the, oh, and, and it, 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 uh, it talks about so many hot topics, right? Controversial topics, but it's in, it's in unison. It's, it's, it's in harmony, if you will about all these things. It's in harmony. And, and you know, the, and, and 
even beyond that, the, all of Scripture is the, is the story of God saving man, saving a people to himself in Jesus. It's amazing that the harmony, the unison, that, that the, the way that this works, it, it's only, it's only a miracle from God, a supernatural phenomenon that, that those 40 authors could do that over a 1,500-year span of time. And, and all these, these uh, diversities, it's a miracle from God. That the only explanation, Peter says, is they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God himself, not their own interpretation. This is why we read Scripture. This is why we believe Scripture. And this is why Peter exhorts us, and I exhort you, to be students of the Word, to pay attention to God's Word, Old, New Testament, both, all. These are good reasons. It's eyewitness testimony written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. These, the, the prophetic word is made more certain by Jesus. It's amazing. May we pay attention to these words as a light shining in our dark world, in our dark hearts, and may we submit to these authoritative words of Scripture, both Old and New Testament with all of our heart, because they are God's word. And and more than that, may they lead us into a personal relationship and personal uh, and relational worship of our God through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. May your word, Father, draw us to relational worship of you, of your son, Jesus, and through your son, Jesus. Soften our hearts to your word. Give us the discipline to be students of your word, to be diligent to turn on the light of Scripture in our dark hearts and in our dark world. Thank you that all the Scripture is about Jesus. God, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the Word made flesh, as John calls Jesus. May our hearts continually grow in our affection and our love for Jesus as we read his word. Bless these graduates as they go out now in Jesus' name. Amen.